Genesis 25 this morning. Genesis 25. Uh, This chapter is a chapter of transition. Uh, Abraham passes and we're introduced to Jacob and Esau. So uh, I have titled this message, Thy Kingdom Come. Thy will be done. Uh, And I'm saying that because it is a transition. I'm so thankful for Abraham's life, for his faith, that we've been traveling with him now for, in our Sunday mornings that is, for a number of months, just watching this man and his ups and downs and his relationship with God. You know, he's the only man in the Bible that's called the friend of God. Uh, It's not that he's the only friend of God. It's just that he's the only man who's called that. I'm a friend of God. Jesus told us that in John 15. You're my friends because I've laid down my life for you. So I want you to know the Lord loves you and he wants you to be his friend, personally have a personal relationship with him. So this is a, a chapter of transition. Um... I think one of the main points that we can draw right away from this text is it is, in fact, uh, the father of Christian faith, Abraham, is passing. But the kingdom of God keeps going forward. And I think that's one of the things that starts to become evident, that it's not entrusted into a man, it's, it's God establishing his kingdom. And he's now going to work through a man named Jacob, who will be born by the time we get to the end of this chapter. His twin brother Esau and himself will be born, and Jacob will dominate really the next 11 chapters. Well, chapter 27, or chapter 26 next week is a little story about his dad Isaac. Uh, But then it moves on to Jacob and He really becomes the central figure for the next 10 chapters. And then he has a son named Joseph uh, who comes on the scene. uh, The 11th of 12 sons. And Joseph dominates till the end of the book of Genesis. So let's just read uh, chapter 25, verse 1. Abraham took another wife whose name was Keturah. Now Abraham had been married to a woman named Sarah. Uh, we think for possibly as long as 100 years. Sarah died at 127, and uh, you could do all the math. There's different date stamps as you go through. We pick up the story of Abraham in chapter 12. Um, I'll be honest with you, it made me mad when I read that. It's like, dude, your wife, <laughs> you've been married for 100 years. Like, what are you doing? Uh, so that's just me. <laughs> that's all. He's not being unfaithful, right? Uh, he took another wife. Maybe on the other hand, I talked with Joni about this, and she's like, my wife Joni, she's like, right away, he goes, well, you know, maybe it was a massive adjustment in his life to have his, his beloved pass to be predeceased, And, um, you know, he was, found himself lonely. So it's okay, he remarried. Uh, So I chilled out a little bit after talking to my wife. That's usually what happens when I talk to Joni. 
So um, she bore him. <laughs> we got a bunch of names here in the text this morning. She bore him Zimram, Jokshan, Midan, Midian, Ishbak, and Shua. Jokshan fathered Sheba and Didan. Those would be his grandkids. Uh, by the way, anybody know pop quiz? What country today is identified that used to be called Sheba and Didan? Anybody know? No. Really? No, Saudi Arabia. That's my understanding. We'll talk. You're 21 now, so you things are different. But anyway, then it says, verse 3, the sons of Dedan were Ashuram, Latushim, and Lumim. <laughs> Those would be his great-grandsons. The sons of Midian were Ephah, Ephor, Hanak, Abida, and Elda'ah. All these were the children of Keturah. Abraham gave all that he had to Isaac. Isaac was the miracle baby, if you remember. Uh, Ishmael was uh, actually Abraham's firstborn, but he was the result of a period of unbelief in his and Sarah's life. God had made a promise to Abraham that from his wife and from himself through natural birth would come a child, and then eventually through that child would come a whole people group called Jews, and they would inherit the land of Israel. So the promise that God gave to Abraham was really connected to a people and to a place. And then through that family, God made that amazing prophecy in Genesis 12:3 that all the families of the earth, all nations, would be blessed through his family, which we now know is because Jesus came from Abraham. And Jesus brought salvation to all men who will believe. Uh, so it expanded beyond just the Jewish people into a particular land to a person, Jesus, and to heaven. So Isaac is that uh, promised son. They waited 25 years for him to be born. Uh, hence, Abraham passed all of his inheritance to Isaac, but with the family business went the promise that was on Abraham's head, and it passed to Isaac now. So he now is living by faith in the future promise of God's word that he had given him. Verse 6, but to the sons of his concubines, that is Abraham's concubines, Abraham gave gifts, and while he was still living, he sent them away from his son Isaac, eastward to the east country. There again, I got mad. It's like, dude, concubines? What's up with concubines? Well, it's an unfortunate thing. That uh, in the Old Testament, you will read about men who had, they weren't really mistresses, uh, they were women that were in a binding relationship with a man, and uh, they were there mainly to produce children. And I'm very sorry to have to say that, but that's the Bible is real, right? People did this. It was common in the culture. Unfortunately, Abraham fell to this practice that was common in the world around him of having concubines. 
There are t- 19 men in the Old Testament who had concubines. 13 of the 19. 13 out of the 19 were kings. The most famous, of course, was Solomon, who had 300 concubines. Um, it's just, it's, it's a work of the flesh. It's, it is a man trying to make a name for himself and establish his own kingdom and expand his influence personally. Uh, it is not God's design. God made that very clear in when he created man and when he invented marriage in Genesis 2. One man will leave his mom and dad and be joined to his wife and the two will become one flesh. Period. That is the design. It was something Jesus was questioned on, questioned about when he came to earth. And he actually quoted Genesis. And he said, haven't you read in the beginning? God made them a man and a woman and they're to be married. And that's that. (laughs) So uh, the concubine thing is an unfortunate thing. Um, There are unfortunate things. The Bible's very real. Doesn't gloss over men's warts in life, if you will. Uh, So I can appreciate that. I'm just thankful the Lord's not writing my story into the scriptures for everybody else to read. Somebody said that uh, actually it, it sounds a bit like female slavery. Uh, and it wasn't necessarily. It depends on who the man was. Abraham's a good guy. Uh, but it was true that in that ancient culture, it would have been hard for a woman to make a life for herself on her own. And so it could actually have been an improvement for ladies who had come into this place uh, of con- as a concubine. So enough of that. Verse 7, these are the days of the years of Abraham's life, 175 years. Yes, he lived a long time. A bit is given to us here in these next three or four verses about Abraham's life, um, about his death rather. As much is said about his death as any man in the Bible. Instead of just a brief statement, it tells us a bunch. It says, these are the days of the years of Abraham's life, 175. So by the way, uh, that would make Isaac 75 years old and Ishmael, his half-brother, 89. He was 14 years older. It says, Abraham breathed his last and died in a good old age, an old man and full of years and was gathered to his people. Isaac and Ishmael, his sons, buried him in the cave of Machpelah, in the field of Ephron, the son of Zohar, the Hittite, east of Mamre, in the field that Abraham purchased from the Hittites. There Abraham was buried with Sarah, his wife. As I had said, she predeceased him, uh, well, by 38 years. So no doubt when they rolled the stone away from the cave, there were a pile of bones, Sarah's bones in there. Uh, And Ishmael and Isaac uh, brought their dad to that place and interred him there in the cave. Uh, You know, it's an interesting thing to me, just a few comments on these verses that we've just read, is that the last time we saw Isaac and Ishmael together, uh, they were in conflict. Isaac was about three, four years old, Ishmael 17, 
and Ishmael was bullying his younger brother. And uh, at the time, Sarah was alive, Abraham's wife, and she's like, you got to get that half-son of ours out of the house because he's going to be a rival to the promise that God has put on our promised son. Broke Abraham's heart, but he followed through. God confirmed that Sarah was on target, and so Ishmael and his mama, Hagar, were kicked out of the house. We have no record of Isaac and Ishmael meeting together. But isn't it interesting how death can bring people together? People that you haven't seen in a long time. As you attend the services and there's a relative, there's a friend, there's a brother or a sister. And um, I don't know, sometimes the sober nature of death can just bring a soberness to our own lives and help us just say, you know, I'm sorry. And all I'm saying here is it seems like there's a reconciliation between these two boys. Uh, well, they're men now. And uh, we have the ministry of reconciliation, brothers and sisters. We have been reconciled to God through faith in Jesus. And now as his sons and daughters, that's how we're to behave with each other. If you're at odds with another, then do the hard work of having a hard conversation. Somebody once said, no relationship is really good until you've had a fight. And there might be some truth to that. Because then you really see the, the nature of your friend or loved one or spouse. So... I just appreciate the fact that the two of them seem to have gotten together and, and together. They inter I mean, Ish Isaac could have done it himself. He's like, no, no, I don't want anything to do with you, Ishmael. But he apparently called him back in and said, okay, hey, man, bygones be bygones. Let's, let's move on. Uh, so a good thing. Abraham breathed his last, it says in verse 8, and died in a good old age, an old man, and full of years. That's what my ESV says, full of years. Some translations will say satisfied or contented instead of full of years. And it's actually, I looked it up in the, in the lexicon and it's actually true. It has the idea of when Jesus fed the 5,000, it says they ate and were satisfied. And then he fed the 4,000. They ate and they were satisfied. They consumed enough until they're like, whoa, 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 enough, I'm full. Abraham's life, he was satisfied with his life. Thank you, Abraham. Thank you so much for living that way and dying that way, for testifying to us in the way that you're passing into eternity. He's on his deathbed with no regrets. He's satisfied. He's contented. His, his life has had much struggle and suffering and joys and blessings. He's seen his son. He's seen many sons and grandsons now. And great-grandsons. He's watched his wife pass. He's married. It, just 
But most of all, he's content in his relationship with God. Don't you see, brothers and sisters, the way that it's expressed to us here is that Abraham is he's at rest in the end of his life. He's, he's peaceful. There's no anxiousness. I used to work in Rochester, New York, and was told of a, a client, actually. I was managing a business at the time, and a client who, he actually owed us a whole lot of money. <laughs> and I was told that he'd had a, a serious illness and he was in the hospital. Now, as a man of God, I didn't care about his money. I cared about his life. So I go to visit this man in the hospital. And um, I'll never forget it. He was so scared. It was his eyes. I, I walked in, probably because like, he's thinking, here comes the guy I owe money to. I don't know. But it was like, oh, man. I, I tried to talk to him, and he, he was just so anxious. It was really sad. None of that with Abraham. He's at rest. He's contented. There's no regrets in his life. He's peaceful. There's no fear, evidently, in dying. He has a clear conscience. Paul said essentially the same thing. As he wrote to Timothy, some of the last words that we have from the Apostle Paul, he said, the time of my departure is at hand. I love those words because it literally has the idea of taking a boat that's been moored to a pier. And that departure is you take the ropes off that bit on the pier and you throw them into the boat and you drift off. The time of my departure is at hand. It's very quiet. Paul knows. He says, I have fought a good fight. I've finished the race. I've kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day. My brother and sister, Abraham could lie there in a good conscience with no regrets at peace because he'd walked with God faithfully in his life. And so he was passing faithfully in his death. Thank you, Abraham. Thank you so much for being a good example to us. It says that he was gathered to his people there at the end of verse 8. Who are his people? Well, certainly can't mean his family because there's only Sarah inside the tomb. It means that he's gone on to those who have died in the faith before him. Abel and Noah and who else am I forgetting? So many others, Adam and Seth and some of Adam's children, right? and Methuselah, and so on, and so on. He was gathered to his people. It speaks really of an afterlife, doesn't it? Yes, his sons put a limp body into a cave, but he wasn't in the body. Jesus made that abundantly clear. I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They are alive. He passed out of that body into the presence of God. What a faithful man. What a wonderful way to go. Thank you so much. The legacy. 
that Abraham left in his life was, uh, I just want to take a moment and highlight a few things about the legacy of Abraham. Before we pass on and go off now into Isaac and Jacob and Esau, I just wanted to take a moment because Paul the Apostle, in his letters in the New Testament, he makes a big deal out of Abraham. Paul said in Romans chapter 4, Romans chapter 4, that Abraham was saved by faith alone. And he quoted from a little moment in Abraham's life in Genesis 15, where God said, take a look up into the stars. Can you count them? Nope. Can't come close. So will your offspring be. And it says, Abraham believed God and he imputed righteousness to him by his faith. And Paul makes that point. He was saved by faith alone. He believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. James, obviously not Paul, but James mentions Abraham and reminds us that Abraham was a friend of God. But it also, James tells us he was justified by his works. And James referring back to the time when Isaac, when Abraham offered Isaac, he was justified by his works. And it sounds like, a, like they're opposed to each other. You're saved by faith alone, you're justified by faith alone, or you're justified by your works. And they actually go together. I think it was Martin Luther who famously said, we are saved by faith alone, but faith that saves is never alone. And that's James's point. Because of his saving faith and imputed righteousness, he then went out and did good works and was justified. Paul also mentions Abraham in Galatians chapter 3, quoting, I'll just quote Galatians chapter 3. The scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, in you shall all the nations be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. Saved by faith alone, justified by his works, and Christ came through Abraham's family line. Just a thank you, Abraham, <laughs> before we move on here. Let's go now to uh, verse 11. It says, After the death of Abraham, God blessed Isaac, his son, and Isaac settled in Beer Lahairoi. It's a place where Isaac had spent a bunch of time. Beer Lahairoi means the well of the living one who sees me. Uh, Isaac was a thoughtful man, a man who meditated on God's word and prayed, and uh, he apparently settled at this place uh, here at Bir Lohairoi. Verse 12, these are the generations of Ishmael, Abraham's son, whom Hagar the Egyptian, Sarah's servant, bore to Abraham. These are the names of the sons of Ishmael, named in the order of their birth, Nebaioth, the firstborn of Mishmael, and Kedar, Abdil, Mibsam, Mishma, Duma, Masa, Hadad, Tima, Jeter, Nafish, and Kedema. Kedema. These are the sons of Ishmael, and these are their names by their villages and by their encampments. 
12 princes according to their tribes. These are the years of the life of Ishmael, 137 years. He breathed his last and died and was gathered to his people. They settled from Havilah to Shur, which is opposite Egypt in the direction of Assyria. He settled over against his kinsmen. Uh, not a whole lot to say here about Ishmael, except that uh, I have a question that I ask of the text. It says that he was gathered to his people. Who are Ishmael's people? Good question. Did he die in the faith? Hebrews, in the book of Hebrews, speaking of Abraham, it said that these all died in faith. Did he die in faith? I don't know. I don't like that I don't know. I like it when we know. I was asked once to give a, a eulogy to a friend, Pete Nero, years ago, right at his gravesite over in Lansing. There was no doubt about Peter's faith. Amen? <laughs> Not a shred of doubt. And it was really just such a joy to stand there with his friends and family members. I don't know about Ishmael. He was exposed to, his, to Father Abraham. He watched his dad's faith. Don't... Now, let me say it positively. <laughs> Live your life in such a way that people aren't guessing. Are you a Christian or not? So That's all we'll say about... Uh, Ishmael, let's move on now. The kingdom of God is moving on. <laughs> it says, these are the generations of Isaac, Abraham's son. Abraham fathered Isaac, and Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah, the daughter of Bethuel, the Aramean of Padan Aram, the sister of Laban, the Aramean, to be his wife. There's a lot of information. Uh, reminding us, actually, that Rebekah came from Mesopotamia area, because that was originally Abraham's homeland. And Abraham did not want Isaac to marry any of the local girls because they were Canaanites and they were idol worshipers. He wanted, didn't want his son to marry outside of the faith. And so someone was dispatched in the previous chapter, we read all about it, and came back with that lovely scene of Rebecca, who just so powerfully, when asked, Will you go and marry that man? And she famously said, I will go. She left her home, traveled the long distance, and uh, her and Isaac were married. He was 40. Things didn't go as planned. Now remember, God's promise that a whole people group were going to come from his one son, Isaac, now Isaac's very hopeful. He's like, now I'm married. Let's begin the process, girl. And for 20 years, nothing. Frustration, heartbreak, argument, prayer, humility, 
realizing, oh no, thy kingdom comes on your way in your time and you are good and you will bring it to pass because you said you would. And so, in spite of all of our good intentions, we are waiting on you, Lord. Verse 21, Isaac prayed to the Lord his wife because she was barren and the Lord granted his prayer and Rebekah his wife conceived. The children struggled together within her and she said, if it is thus, why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord and the Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb and two peoples from within you shall be divided. The one shall be stronger than the other and the older shall serve the younger. So interesting, uh, verse 22, sibling rivalry in utero. <laughs> it says they struggled. You can look it up in your own concordance, trusting you know what a concordance is. I encourage you to use one. gives you Bible words. It gives a meaning to Bible words. Struggled. It means to crush. It means that you're, yeah, it was violent. This was not just that, oh, the baby's kicking. No, they were kicking each other, apparently. And it was so radical that she's like, what in the world? No sonograms. Like, she didn't know she had twins, right? There's something going on here. And so Rebecca prays, and the Lord speaks to her very specifically. You know, that can actually happen to you and me today. Is the Holy Spirit might give you a word of knowledge. He might just speak to you audibly even. He may come to you through the scriptures, through somebody who speaks to you, and you know the Holy Spirit lights it up to your heart. And they're like, that's an answer to prayer. God has just spoken to me. It's happened so many times. Praise the Lord. Confirms us in our faith. Amen? And so she goes and she prays, and the Lord speaks to her very clearly. She's like, the Lord's like, you got twins, girl. But they're very, very different. Each one of these boys are going to be the progenitor of a nation, and they're not going to get along. And the younger one is going to triumph over the older one, and the older one's going to end up serving the younger one. <laughs> so that's pretty weird. Uh, by the way, little known fact, one out of every 42 births are twins, one out of every 250 births are identical twins. You're about to see these were not identical twins. <laughs> and they were twins, shared the same uterus, but two different eggs, very different personalities, born within the minute of each other. Two nations are in your womb. Well, then it says, uh, verse 24, when her days to give birth were completed, behold, there were twins in her room, womb. <laughs> the first came out red, all his body like a hairy garment. Uh, so they called his name Esau. I just put that on the screen to show you. It does happen. Okay. There's a little newborn baby. Sometimes it happens. Right? They have a name for that, actually. Those of you who are in the medical field maybe know what that is. I can't remember. And it said that he had red hair. Yeah, cute. (laughs) 
He came out red, all his body like a hairy cloak, so they called his name Esau, because Esau sounds like the Hebrew word for red. Okay, so that's what they did, pretty creative. Afterward, his brother came out with his hand holding Esau's heel. Now normally, uh, I guess he's breech, or no, what do you call that? Aren't you, come, you come head first, right? So like, he's got his hand sticking out. He's holding on to his brother's heel, right? Uh, so that makes me wonder if Jacob's the one who started the fight back in the womb. <laughs> you know, he seemed to be the, the contentious one here. I don't know. So his name was called Jacob. Uh, it means he takes the heel, all right? Uh, again, the Hebrew for heel sounds like Jacob, right? So that's, again, pretty creative. Isaac was 60 when she bore them. So for 20 years, they waited for the promise. Uh, Verse 27, when the boys grew up, Esau was a skillful hunter, a man of the field, while Jacob was a quiet man dwelling in tents. Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game, but Rebekah loved Jacob. Uh, Don't have favorites, moms and dads, future moms and dads. Uh, I know some of you are like, I'm the favorite. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so there you go. Esau was a, um, it does seem like he is kind of an imposing figure, doesn't it? He might be what you'd call your prototypical stud. He's just like this hairy guy who loves to hunt. He's an outdoorsman and uh, just, you know, give me some meat and... uh, (laughs) kind of a guy. And his dad loved his successful hunting excursions, right? And Jacob was a quiet man dwelling in tents. Uh, <laughs> I so appreciate the different, the, you know, two different nations are in your womb. We got this guy who's just like, man, <laughs> stereotype, right? And then you got Jacob. Mama's boy. <laughs> Quiet man, it says, dwelling in tents. I so appreciate the diversity, don't you? That we don't get, don't you appreciate being, having your identity in Christ? That I haven't got to be some stud to be a man, right? I don't have big muscles, I don't have a lot of hair. I'm not, I'm timid, right? You got all these things that we think are weaknesses and it doesn't matter. And it's wonderful to grow out of that in your faith and to realize, no, the Lord loves all men and all women, regardless of your status or your reputation, right? He died for all so that all can live. So I appreciate Jacob. Appreciate him a lot. A quiet man actually means that he was a, it actually has the idea of being a very solid man. He was fairly resolute in his opinions and in the way that he conducted his life. Sometimes in not such a good way, as you're going to discover over the next several months, sometimes in a very good way. For example, there was a time in his life Genesis 32, where he 
was wrestling with God, and he would not let him go. An angel of the Lord appeared to Jacob, and all through the waning hours of the morning, he's wrestling, and he was resolute. He was steadfast. I will not let you go until you bless me. So it could be a blessing to him, and it sometimes was a curse to him. But um, very different personalities. Well, here we go. Once when Jacob was cooking stew, verse 29, Esau came in from the field and he was exhausted. All right, Esau said to Jacob, let me eat some of the red stew for I'm exhausted. Therefore, his name was called Edom. All right, so uh, we're expanding now on the name Esau. Uh, Esau is Edom, okay? Can you get that in your mind? And it's associated with red. Edom is red. And Esau is based on the word red. It's just got the same thing. By the way, a little known fact, but the Greek for Edom is Idumean. In the Greek language, they wouldn't say Edom. They would say Idumea. Why does that matter? Because Herod the Great, who tried to kill Jesus, was an Idumean. He was descended from... Edom's line. That'll mean something a little bit more to you here in a minute. So anyway, Esau comes in from the field. He's exhausted. He hasn't had a successful day. Let me eat some of that red stew for I'm exhausted. And literally what he's saying is, give me food. That's literally what he's saying in the original language. He's like, he's like it's like a gulping sound. I just, I got to devour something now. I know what that's like. Maybe you do too. (laughs) So Jacob said, sell me your birthright. Remember, Esau is the firstborn. And so the promise of God that he gave to Abraham goes to the firstborn. Jacob wants what he has. He wants the promise of God that from his family will come the people and the place and the Messiah. So Jacob's just sitting there stirring the soup. And Esau comes in. And he can see it and he can smell it. He can hear it cooking. And he's like, ah, I'm starving. And he says, sell me your birthright. Isn't that interesting? Don't give me your birthright. Sell it to me. In other words, by the time we're done talking here, brother, I want to ensure that what you have has transferred to me. So I want to I think of this as a business transaction. Esau said, well, I'm about to die. What use is a birthright to me? Jacob said, swear to me now. So he swore to him, and he sold his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau bread and lentil stew, and he ate and drank and rose and went his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. That is amazing. That blows my mind. Here is a man who has a covenant from God 
that has been transferred to him by virtue of being the firstborn. And all he can think about is a bowl of soup. And when it's all said and done, gets up from the table, little belch, and walks away. He just walks away as if nothing happened. I feel better. Esau despised his birthright. So here's what I want to say to you, friends. Here's how I want to apply all this little interesting story about the two nations in one room, in one womb, two people, right? I want to work this with you just for a moment. Do you see a pattern? The one who's born first ends up not liking the one who's born second. Cain murdered Abel. Cain was the firstborn of Adam and Eve. And then in Abraham's own life, Ishmael was the firstborn. He bullied the secondborn, Isaac, the son of the promise. And here we see it with Esau. The firstborn has no regard for God. And ultimately, we'll see in chapter 27, he wants to murder Jacob. There's two people in your womb. There's two people in this life. There's an old man, the man that was born first, naturally Scott Hathorne, and then there's the new man, born of the Spirit, in relationship with God. And you know what? Have you discovered this, friends? The old man doesn't like God and doesn't like the new man. And that old man, that natural man, that sinful man, has appetites in the context of our story. I see, I oogle, I smell, I hear, I desire, must get. (laughs) Yeah, weird, huh? Not weird at all. What we have here, friends, is a beautiful example of wrestling with your own sin nature as a child of God. And I love it because the text told us the younger will triumph over the older. Amen. God has given us his Holy Spirit and greater is he that's in me than me and he that's in the world. And if you will walk in the Spirit, if you will seek God and set your affections, Colossians 3, on things above, then when you encounter that old man who is so thirsty and desirous and passionate for the appetites of our flesh, then by the power of the Holy Spirit, we will gain the victory over that. It's called sanctification, the big theological word. It's a diminishing of my carnal desires and an increasing in my delight for God. That's what God is doing in your life, brothers and sisters. 
And I just so rejoice in the fact that the one that was born second is now on the scene. And he will triumph over the firstborn. That's why it's so lovely to receive the Holy Spirit into your life. I was lost and a slave to my own desires. I so relate to Esau. I was just, a, just a, such a carnal, worldly man, driven by my sensual desires. And, and they began to conquer me. And I became a slave to my very own sinful nature. Until the, the house of cards fell. And then there was repentance and a turning toward God. And then his grace and his Holy Spirit was poured out. And now there's a new birth and there's a new man. And it's actually his very life, the life of Jesus now living in me. When's the last time, brother and sister? When's the last time you took a moment when you maybe had a moment? Let me say that that way. When you had a moment where you just in sheer brokenness and contrition of spirit were before God just saying, I am such a mess. Forgive me, please. It is a lovely place to be. Lovely. So thankful for that. The Holy Spirit pricking my heart just this week in devotions at the dining room table. Oh, Lord, your word. That's me. Not this exact text. It was a different text. And it was just broken over my old man that I had allowed to dominate There's nothing, like, there's nothing like the sweet moment of confession. And you go humbly to our Lord at his feet and just say, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. Wash me from my sin. I confess it to you, naming it specifically because he sees it all. In his foreknowledge, he saw it all. The kingdom of God is moving forward, brothers and sisters, through you and me. Let his light burst out of your lives. It's going to come through just the dailiness of life, walking by faith. This was just a bowl of soup and a day in the life of a couple of men. But it changed their directory, their path in life for the rest of their life. And Jacob now has inherited the promise. And from him will come the 12 tribes of Israel. Do you know that in the new Jerusalem that's coming down out of heaven, there's 12 foundation stones with the name of the, one of the 12 tribes and every one of those stones. That's, it's a permanent, eternal thing, what God has done, what he will do in this man. Praise the Lord. What a powerful moment here in the life of these two men. Esau was an unholy man. He gave in to, he understood what he had. There was a conscious thought, there was a choice to be made. And it says, ah, what's it going to do? I'm about to die anyway. What use is a birthright to me? I don't think that it was, he was literally on the brink of death. He, you, well, he was starving to death. No, he wasn't. He just like, ah, whatever. Things of God weren't appealing to him. So I pray that the things of God would be appealing to us.
There's no secret. It comes through faith, obedience, loving one another, forgiving one another, confessing our sin, witnessing to others. It's what it is. It's the day by day by day. Amen? Let's stand and pray. Thank you, Lord. We're justified by faith. You've made us sons and daughters. Thank you, Lord, that we live with hope now and that there's a growth and a maturity and a confidence in you that develops over time. I thank you, Lord, for your amazing grace that what you accomplished once and for all in our lives and for all people grants us a new day a new beginning. We praise you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you all. See you next week.